Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A couple of weeks ago, we started talking about some manifestations of the Spirit. And then we worked on 1 Corinthians 13, which deals with love and looked at that with a good amount of detail. And so now in 1 Corinthians 12, the one verse of scripture that I want to work on will be verse number nine, but we'll start reading with verse four. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number four. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. And just in case... I get a little further. Let's look at verse 10 to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for placing in your word all of these scriptures to help us to understand the office work of the Holy Spirit. And even though this chapter does not contain everything that the Spirit of God does, it provides us with enough information to understand his ministry. And Lord, we do pray that all of us would not only be candidates, but be vessels for your use when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Ghost. We love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said. Amen. Amen. In looking at this, we we recall that first Corinthians was written primarily to deal with different topics. And some of these topics were divisive. And Paul wanted to bring unity with regard to what we should believe about these. And the best way to counter division and or ignorance is with knowledge and wisdom. And this is why at the beginning of the chapter, he says, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. The only way to best ignorance is by providing wisdom and understanding for us. I want us to know that because of the plan of redemption, when you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then you were born again. Once you were born again, you became a new creature. That means you're a spiritual person and being a spiritual person. That means that having been born of the spirit, you are to be led by the spirit. And like the first century church, they were filled with the spirit. So everything about your Christian life is supernatural. There was nothing about the new birth that was ever designed for you to just be a natural person in the sense that you read the Bible like you read another book and then that's all there is to it. But you're to have faith and you're to trust God and you're to believe and you're to expect that the spirit of God that brought you into the kingdom of God, who is now leading you, will also confirm the word of God that you give witness to. 
Now, understand, if you don't ever tell anyone about Jesus Christ, you certainly are never going to see anyone born again. So you won't even experience that whole process. If you don't lift your hands and get some oil or lay hands on someone to pray with someone, as the Bible says, then you'll never know the joy of seeing someone made whole. But as a Christian, there are things that we're supposed to do. And first Corinthians 12 tells us it is the spirit's empowerment that leads us. So we told you that the word of wisdom has to do with any kind of application of knowledge that you have, but to use that knowledge skillfully. That the word of knowledge, in fact, deals with data and information that you may have. But, you know, you can have a lot of knowledge and not have any wisdom. I mean, think about that. You can have a lot of knowledge and not have wisdom. You may know a lot about tools and you could probably point out different types of screwdrivers and skill saws and so on and so forth. But if you don't know how to repair something, then you're lacking wisdom in that regard. It's the same thing with a car. You can know a lot about the different uh, parts of the engine and be able to point out what was a carburetor or point out a radiator or something like that, but still not have wisdom to repair any of it. So the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom is important. But today we're talking a little bit about verse nine here, this word faith. It says in Romans that to Every Christian, there's a measure of faith. It's a measure of faith. And the Bible says that by grace are you saved through faith. So the first time faith was ever manifested in your life was at new birth. At new birth. When you came to know the king, that was when this kind of faith, as far as becoming born again. But the faith that he's talking about here isn't saving faith. It isn't the faith to become a Christian. It's to show that in your walk with God, there are different seasons where you may approach a particular trial or you may approach some kind of a circumstance. And then within your heart, there's an explosion of confidence and trust in God and where everybody else may be worried or concerned about what's going to take place. You believe because you know what the word says. Now, look again at first Corinthians 13. And let's notice what it says in verse two. If I have prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, according to first Corinthians 13 and two, then you can see that the faith mentioned here is going to have some kind of supernatural effect on some large object or some impediment or some obstacle in your way. Faith then is used to overcome, to overcome. Now let's go to Matthew 21 and we'll show you this in operation somewhat. Matthew 21, Jesus is slowly making his way back towards Jerusalem and Matthew 21, verse 18, in the morning he returned to the city and he was hungry and he saw a fig tree and he didn't find anything on it but leaves. So he obviously was disappointed. And Jesus statement 
was let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. So that's that is what someone would call a curse. He spoke negatively to the tree. And then you can see in verse 19 and presently the fig tree withered away. He spoke a word against this tree because of its present condition. Then it died up. So it wasn't dead, even though it didn't have any fruit on it, just wasn't producing any fruit at this at this season. But yet when he spoke, you see where the thing just withered up, probably from the roots all the way right on up through the top. And then when the disciples saw it, they marveled. Why did they marvel? Because they came back the following day and were walking past and looked and saw the thing dried up at its roots. And the Lord said to them, if you had faith like that of, uh, you know, a mustard seed, then you'd be able to speak to your mountains also. So here's my point. Why would Jesus say that to an inanimate object? Unless he believed there was going to be some kind of response after he made the statement. He believed that the tree was actually going to die. So there are times in our relationship with the king where I honestly believe that you won't have any doubts or concerns or anxieties about certain things that are in front of you, certain things that you face. God can give you faith to believe and you don't have any worries, even though other people are totally concerned about it and nervous. Let's go to Acts chapter three. Let's look at this in another way. There are people who who uh, fret over a lot of different things. Some people fret over money. And if Tiff was here, she'd tell you, that's one thing I've never, ever fretted over at all. I just have never worried about that. I've always known that what Jesus told the disciples, go and preach the gospel. Don't take a purse with you. Don't take a wallet. Just go and preach and then you'll be taken care of. And I've always believed that because I've known no matter where I go and preach the gospel, if it's a revival or a camp meeting, if I get some grandma saved or some grandkid saved or somebody's nephew saved, then that's going to lead to a lot of excitement. And there are a whole lot of people going to be happy about that. You see? So yeah, you don't have to worry about that. You just trust God and believe God. Now there have been other areas of my life where yeah, there have been some concerns. Yeah, been been some concerns, but but the monetary thing never been a big one. All all the times that Tiffany and I in the past giving away vehicles, cars, just never at all did we think, well, are we going to walk or how how is this going to work out? God has always supplied, and I think with your circumstances in your Christian life, God will manifest faith in a divine way for you. And you'll overcome your circumstances when everybody else is looking at you saying, well, I'm not so sure that this is going to work out. Well, you know it's going to work out because it's in your heart. So in Acts chapter three, notice in verse two, here's a man who's been lame from his mother's womb. So he was born crippled. And they took him and put him at the gate called beautiful every day. He's a beggar. He saw Peter and John and he assumed they had some money. Well, most Jewish people going in and out of the temple would have some money. They're going to give offerings to God. But in in verse four, Peter looked at him after the man asked for some money and the man was expecting to receive something from him. Now, his expectation was not to be healed. 
His expectation was for monetary blessing. He wanted to be able to have a little extra money, maybe for some food or for some clothing that he wanted to purchase. But notice what Peter says in verse six, silver and gold I don't have. I know a whole lot of preachers can't say that today. They have a lot of silver and gold and they have much silver and gold. But here's what he did have in verse six. But such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand. Now, why would Peter reach out and grab the man by the right hand if Peter didn't believe in that moment that something's going to happen to him? See, this was not Peter just reaching out, grabbing somebody saying, well, let's let's just try this and see if God's going to heal you. I've seen a lot of people do that. I've seen people hesitantly try to grab people out of a wheelchair just to see if God is going to do something or reach out and, and, and try to make something happen and calling it stepping out on faith. Listen, if God gives you faith and it's an abundance of faith, you're going to overcome whatever that obstacle is. And I promise you that obstacle is going to move. And that's why he said in, in, in Mark 11 and Matthew 21 that the mountain would, would, would move. Now, just to take this a little further, notice in verse 16, as Peter is explaining what happened here, he said in his name, through faith in his name, see, Peter believed in the name of Jesus, hath made this man whole, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith by which is by him, through him. Christ is the one that supplied the faith. God the Father supplied the faith. God the Holy Ghost supplied the faith. When faith is supplied, something does happen. Something does happen. Now, to <clears throat> reiterate, uh, this here will go good when I get over into talking about the, the gifts of healing. But in this circumstance, it's a gift of healing or I should say in this circumstance, it's a healing that uh, is taking place. But every aspect of faith's manifestation does not have to deal with infirmity. It could be a lot of different things. Remember the Old Testament story of the axe head floating in the water? Yeah, why, why would Elisha say throw a stick in the water if he didn't believe that the thing was going to start floating? See, he believed. He knew. Why would Joshua say sun and moon stand still? Most people don't do that. They just don't look up into the starry heavens and say stand still and don't move. He did that. Because there's something in him that let him know God was going to answer that prayer or that statement. And God did that. And I've told you before, whenever you think of that miracle, you've got to consider a lot of different things. Because in, in, in this universe that we live in, you got a lot of different things out here rotating and, and, and moving and orbiting and things moving on its own axis. And, and for God to stop the sun and the moon and not stop everything else, you're going to have collisions all over the place. But because one man had faith, everything stopped for 24 hours. See, that's power. See, that's power. And, and that, is, that is not explainable by natural means. And this is why 1 Corinthians 12 is important for us that are Christians. Because there's some things God is going to do that's going to leave you scratching your head. And if God hasn't ever done anything that left you scratching your head, you don't even know what I'm talking about. He will do things that will startle you. Some people say, well, there's nothing God can do that, that would surprise me. Please, please. There's a whole lot God can do 
to surprise you. There's no doubt about it. He's got a bag of tricks that, that it's filled with stuff that you can't even imagine because he can do much more than you can even ask or think. Yeah. All right. So look at chapter four of the book of Acts now. And, and I want you to see where Peter's trying to give an account for all of these things. And he starts in verse eight, telling the leaders how this man was healed and what happened. Well, in verse 14, they saw the man and knew that he was made whole and there was nothing they could say against it. And that's true. Always remember a man with an a man with an argument doesn't have much of a case against somebody with an experience. OK, if if you run into someone who says to you, I don't believe that people have genuine heartfelt religion and can be born again. But all you need to do is just join the church. Then you come along and you say, well, let me share my testimony because I was a wretch. I was a sinner. I know that people are born again because of what he's done in my life. And if God has ever done anything for you that is of a divine origin, then don't ever don't ever back away from that. Don't don't ever back away from it. Doesn't matter who believes or who doesn't believe. Okay, so they couldn't say anything against it. But verse 15, they told the disciples to go out and the council conferred with themselves. And they said, what are we going to do? Because indeed, a notable miracle has been done. Now, they don't want to say that publicly, but they have to say it privately because the man who was born crippled and everybody who knew they know he's healed now. So they had to acknowledge it. But they said in verse 17, so that this spread no further, let's threaten them and tell them not to speak in his name. So th- this is what is coming out of this. We want to try to intimidate the Christians. And in 18, they called them, gave them the command. You are not to speak or teach in Jesus name. Now, here's what Peter and John said under the threat of persecution. And, you know, they had been physically beaten before. It says, whether it's right in the sight of God to hearken to you more than God, you judge. But we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. I'm telling you right now to stand in front of people who threaten to hurt you, harm you, kill you. And you stand up and say that you have to have faith that comes from somewhere else other than yourself. Yeah, because there are people all over this earth who have who have taken similar stances and believed despite the threat of death. And they trusted God. And uh, the, the old um, the old stories from Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, the Martyrs Mirror. You can read all kinds of stories of how people walked to their death and trusted God right unto the end. See, that's what Paul told Timothy: be faithful unto the end. I was reading a story here back in the medieval times where uh, up in the area of Russia, there were 20 believers came to know the Lord and the authorities did not want these people to know Christ and wanted them to renounce their faith. They refused to do so. So these 20 Christians were taken out to a frozen lake and they were stripped of all of their clothing and with bare feet forced to walk out there on that frozen lake and, and, and the whole point of it was for them to die of exposure. And so the, they had guards that surrounded the entire lake so that none of them would run off the lake. 
and try to save themselves. The only way off that lake, standing out there in the middle of that frigid wind and, and, and in that in that nakedness, the only way off was for you to renounce your faith and run back to the shore. That's it. And they stood out there so long over a period of several hours that one by one people started dying. Well, there was a guard who was there and and one of the guards, he was not a believer. He, he was a pagan, didn't care anything about God. But while he was standing there and this is his, his testimony, he saw standing around the 20 that were there, something like angels. These shiny beings. And he said that when whenever someone finally died and expired and, and, and uh, just kind of fell down there and stopped moving on that lake, it, it looked like they received a harp and a crown. Now, that's that's Revelation 14 and two. Well, one by one, that guard said he watched as 19 of them received that as they died of exposure. But he said there was one man that had watched the other 19 die. He couldn't take it anymore. He took off running to the shore and he renounced his faith, said he did not, not want to be a Christian any longer. And that guard, because he was so touched by what he believed he was seeing in a vision or with his natural eyes, he ran out there and said, I'll take the man's place because I believe I need Christ. And that man went out there and died for Jesus. Now, who does that in their right mind? Okay, you, there's got to be a faith or something in you that leads you to just take off all of your garments, take off running in the middle of a, a frozen lake and just decide you're going to stand out there and die because you believe that on the other side of your last breath, you've got an angel that's going to hand you something. See, so supernatural. Okay, well, if if we think about this again, then we can go to Acts chapter 13. And remembering the story of Jesus and the tree. Acts chapter 13. You can see in verse 2. The spirit of God spoke to the congregation and said separate Barnabas and Saul. So here we can see God is able to talk to more than one person. Verse 3. They fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, sent them away. You can see in verse five, they came or verse four, they came to Cyprus. Verse five, you can see the city. They were going into their different synagogues. They had John Mark with them. And when they came to the Isle of Paphos, there was a sorcerer who was called a false prophet. And he was Jewish. And this man did everything he could to stop Paul and them from preaching the gospel. And this man tried to withstand them and keep people from turning to the faith. There was one influential man who was a deputy and this sorcerer was trying to keep him from becoming a Christian. So Saul filled with the Holy Ghost looked at him and said, you're subtle and full of mischief. You child of the devil. This is also certainly discerning that spirit. You enemy of righteousness. Will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a mist and darkness. And he went about seeking something to lead him by the hand. Now, why would why would Paul say that if he didn't believe God was going to do that? See, 
See, that, that's that, that's a manifestation of, of faith. And of all the stories and testimonies that you hear people tell uh, today in television and on radio, you don't hear people talking like this. Because people's faith today is conditioned to think God doesn't do this. To think God wouldn't do this. But Paul in the first century church, as well as Peter, when he said to Ananias and Sapphire, oh, you've lied to God, the Holy Ghost. You, you, this is bad. One by one, they fell over dead. Yeah. So the first century church had manifestations of faith that very much are different from us because ours is conditioned to only believe in the positive side of what God will do. But God knows how to judge people. And, and, and the wrong person gets to messing with God's people and God's big enough to handle them. You better believe it. He's big enough to handle them. He just needs us to believe. Look at what happened to Saul when he was persecuting the church and God arrested him. On that road to Damascus, he lost his sight too. Yeah. But when a man of God came along and laid hands on him, then he received his sight and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So all, all I'm trying to show is that when there's a manifestation of faith, as mentioned in First Corinthians 12 and 9, then there tends to be some kind of supernatural accompaniment that demonstrates this is what God is after. I preached in, uh, I'm trying to remember, was it Bakersfield, California one time? And there, there used to be a guy um, in the 50s named Jack Cole. Used to have a tent and did a whole lot of preaching, was on television, really big man, had a lot of stories and testimonies about him. Well, I was preaching in a church where his son had just finished preaching. And so I rolled with the pastor and Jack Cole Jr. to the airport. So, of course, we're just hearing all kinds of stories about what his father was like. And, of course, they were talking about his faith, the things that he did. Well, some years later, I was preaching over in Illinois and I got there the week after Jack Cole's daughter, Joanna, had been there preaching. So they gave me a bunch of CDs just to listen to her ministering. And they were all stories again of Mr. Cole. And him praying for people and the things that would happen. Folks up under the tent that would have cancers on their face. He'd slap them and rip the thing off. Or people that had big tumors in their belly and how he'd sometimes hit them and they were made whole. Or stories of the blind and the dumb or the deaf and then people who were healed. Now, you can go on YouTube and still see him preaching and see stories and, and all the testimonies and stuff. But, but I know a number of people and have known a number of people that knew him. But here's my point. The Spirit of God is the one who brings manifestations of faith. You can't fabricate it on your own. And believe me, there are a lot of people that try. And you can try to imitate somebody and try to be like somebody, but that's not going to get you the results that Paul and Peter and others had. I realize that as we move into this next one here in first Corinthians 12 and nine, it talks about the gifts, plural of healing. And and it is true that with the covenant that we have, all of us should pray for the sick. We all should, because it's part of the Great Commission. And all of those in the early church understood the Great Commission, and many of them had heard of Paul's letters or had read some of Paul's letters, but they all did not believe they had gifts of healing. Okay? 
There were people used by God who certainly possessed these and maybe possessed is the wrong way. They were vessels that were used by God in ministering to the sick. Well, look at the end of chapter 12. You can see some questions being asked. And in verse 30, it says, have all gifts of healing? Well, the answer is no. The answer is no. But there are those that do. There's no doubt about it. And um, it's it's an important thing to, to talk about and to discuss. And I think it's best to begin with Jesus. So I'll ask you now to go to Matthew chapter 4. And maybe I can share just a few points possibly you hadn't thought about. Do you believe there's a sickness that Jesus couldn't heal? No. If, if someone were to ask you today, is there a dreadful, deadly disease that God couldn't heal? I would say no, because it's not a matter of ability. It's not that he can't, see? But look at Matthew 4 and verse 23. So Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing a few different kinds of sickness. Does it say that? It said healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. What is disease? Discomfort. Dis-ease. What is ease? Comfort. So anything that's bringing you discomfort God can handle. What is sickness? Anything that infirms, that affects you or me physically. It does. Because remember, pain is an indicator of what? There's something out of order in the body. That's that's what pain is. Pain says there's something wrong. You get a headache, you know that's not natural or normal. If I get a headache, I know exactly what that means. I'm hungry. And I, I can cure a headache with a, with, a, with a sandwich or some ice cream. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I don't, I don't get a lot of headaches. I'm serious. But if I do, I get them because I have not eaten for some reason or another. But, but notice verse 24, it says here, they, they, his fame went throughout Syria. They brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments. So no one was under the impression Jesus couldn't handle it, and Jesus was never intimidated by their approach. Different diseases and torments. Different diseases. I wonder if Jesus was alive today, if all the sick people we had in the last three years, if he probably would have said, keep your distance. Six feet. I don't think he would have said that at all. See? I I think that... Jesus understood that being God in the flesh, he definitely had a unique ministry and everybody around him knew he had a unique ministry. But notice what it says here. Torments, torments, those things that bother you, those those things that that uh, produce a lot of emotional distress and things like that. Well, what, what does um, what happens with people that are really fearful? Those phobias torment people. Have you ever met somebody that's afraid of being in the marketplace or around a lot of people? I have. I've met people, they they can only be around small groups. 
And I'm telling you, you put them in a crowd and they start sweating and they start having problems. Fear. I've also met people that have a have a, a, a deadly and, and I mean deadly, a deadly fear of snakes to the point that that they'll have a heart attack if they just even come in contact with them or see it. They don't even want to see a snake in a picture. I've met people like that. And I've seen people that are afraid of heights. Yeah. Now, I'm not afraid of heights, but when we used to go to Mahoney and we go and have them cabins back by where we'd have the church services, there was this big, huge tower where, you know, you could climb up, walk the stairs, get to the top and then kind of look around all of Mahoney Park there. I don't have any fear of heights at all, but I'll tell you one thing. I go to the top of there and stand and look, and, and if I ever leaned over and looked down, just felt like my legs turned to water. I stopped looking down. But I don't have a phobia of heights at all. I, I get up in an airplane, look out the window, doesn't bother me. Some people can't do that. I can climb up and, 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 and be on the 11th, 12th, 13th floor. That doesn't bother me. Other people, that bothers. Well, a tormenting thing is something that does not allow you to be comfortable even here in your mind. Some people hear voices. Yeah, they hear voices. And they hear voices that tell them to harm people. They hear voices that tell them to kill themselves or kill other people. Those are torments. But Jesus is a deliverer. Look here. It says they were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic. We're talking about people that were insane. Yeah. Talk to somebody that works in a nursing home and ask them how people act on a full moon. Yeah. Ask them how some people act during the full moon. It is crazy. Some people are touched that way. Well, these people came to Jesus and it says also those that had the palsy, that's a paralytic condition and he healed them. It didn't matter what they had, didn't matter what they faced. Jesus was strong enough to heal them. So that, that's that's what I'm trying to emphasize here. Well, he turns around in Matthew chapter 10 and he tells his disciples, now you go out and do what I've done. Now, they had similar success, not entirely. There were some occasions they couldn't get some people healed. And Jesus had to explain this kind comes out by fasting and praying. But even Jesus couldn't do a great work in his own hometown, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He did heal a few, but didn't heal everybody. But my point is. The manifestation of healing in the ministry of Christ was then also given to his disciples that walked with him. And then you can follow it through the book of Acts and you can see that in the book of Acts, they were still praying for the sick. There was never a time when they stopped. And when we come to the book of James, the Bible says that there are any sick among you. So it takes for granted. We're going to come in contact with people that have infirmity as long as we're all breathing. But if we come in contact with them and they're in the church, the Bible says that the elders of the church take out some oil anoint them and then say, let them pray the prayer of doubt, anxiety and unbelief. What does it say? The prayer of what? Faith. Okay, let them pray the prayer of faith. So then when when we pray for the sick, then we should pray believing. Now, this is why oftentimes people don't see manifestations of healing because I'm convinced a lot of people don't believe God will use them and they don't believe God does that today. And for the ones who don't believe God does or will do that today, then the chances are less likely that they probably will, especially if the element of faith is required. So if I go to a hospital and I have to pray 
for people. I don't go in and pray with the the uh, understanding. Well, you know, this may not work out. And uh, if it doesn't work out, that's just a bad thing. I go in there with the expectation that they are going to be made whole. And I just 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 function from there. And you say, well, what? As I've told you before, you say, well, pastor, what what if they don't get better? And what if they die? Then you bury them. OK, it's not a difficult thing. You bury them. This is not hard. Right. However, if, if I'm in the hospital and I'm sick and I'm saying to you, I want to live longer and I want to grow old with my wife. Yeah. And then you come in and you say, Pastor, can I pray for, for you? And then you, you reach out and put your hand on my shoulder and you start praying and crying and saying, well, well, God, we're not sure if this is really your will. And we just want to prepare Tiffany for, for Pastor's death. But God, if it is your will, I'm just going to move your hand off of me <laughs> and let you pray anything you want to pray. Lay it on the wall. OK, lay it on the chair. But I don't want that prayer for me. If I've already communicated to you, I want to live and not die. Then I need you to come in agreement with me. Otherwise, we can't have a manifestation of healing. And, and, and now we should understand that gifts of healing are to be manifested just through preachers and apostles. Jesus said these signs shall follow them that believe. So believers have a ministry to pray for one another. I'd just as soon have a four-year-old pray for me than some 40-year-olds. You say, why? Because a four-year-old been sitting in church all their little bitty life, and they hear stories about God, and they see people praying, and then they think, okay, well, well, yeah, let, let's pray. Yeah, so you, you get a little, little three- or four-year-old to pray for you, they'll put their hands on you. They might even try to imitate talking in tongues or something. And they 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 they're liable to just, you know, recite what they hear somebody in church pray. But then after they pray, then they're going to stop and they're going to look at you like, well, what's wrong with you? Why don't you get get up and start moving around? Because a little kid expects an answer. And it's us. We have put in our minds all kinds of barriers and obstacles, and we're looking to try to qualify our unbelief. So if it doesn't work out, I need to have my answer ready. See, got to have my answer ready. But but let's let, let's remember the occasion where James said it's appropriate for us to say if the Lord will. If we're talking about tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I say if the Lord will or Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow. But if I'm praying for someone to be a Christian, I'm not saying, Lord, if it be your will, Please save so-and-so's grandkid. God's not willing that any should perish. And if I understand Isaiah 53 correctly and Matthew 8, verse 17, that Jesus was healing the sick before he ever went to Calvary. And he was fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 53 before he ever died on the cross. He himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses before he died. So as a Christian, my position is to pray and expect God to touch them. And that, that's why that's why I'm there. And, and that's why you should be there also. OK, well, let's come back over here to First Corinthians 12. And let me say just a few more things about 
verse number nine here. Gifts, plural, of healing. And then you can see in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30, again, gifts of healing. And then look at verse 28. And God hath set some in the church. So he established it. And I want you to think of it this way. He, he mixed it like you mix all the ingredients for concrete. Okay. He established these in the church. First apostles. Apostles never have departed from the body of Christ. They've always been in the church since the time began. And, and people may not have always called them that, but they have always been people that are sent. Because the scripture says in the prophets, how can somebody preach? Unless they've been sent. See, and the Hebrew word was sent in the Old Testament is the word apostle. So as long as we have had people sent by God to proclaim the word of God, we have always had people in the body of Christ that are apostles. It's always been that way. But in the last 500 years, we've just come to call people missionaries, which again is just a Latinized form of the Greek word that still means somebody that's sent. Now, a church or denomination can send somebody as a delegate to a convention, and a denomination can send somebody overseas to operate as a missionary, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who's specifically sent by God and empowered by God to do his will. He set them in the church and then also prophets. So these aren't going anywhere either. You read the Old Testament. You've got a boatload of prophets right on up through Malachi. And you still have them in the New Testament, too. Anna was a prophetess. See, female. And let's not forget that we have uh, the four daughters that prophesied who were Philip's kids. And then we have Agabus who prophesied. He's a prophet. And then we've got uh, Judas and Silas. These people were prophets also had a ministry with Paul. So individuals, not everybody in the New Testament church in the first century was an apostle or a prophet. But God had some and and usually they're few and far between. But he's always had them in the body of Christ. And then thirdly, teachers. So we, we do have teachers and I'm not talking about Sunday school teachers. Some of people that are really called by God to teach and explain and, and share and minister the word of God and bring clarity to the body of Christ on certain topics. And, you know, as well as I do, some people teach certain topics better than some other people. And you may derive a little bit more edification from uh, Tony Evans than you might get from a John Hagee. See, or you may get a little bit more from a from a John Hagee than you might get from a Jensen Franklin. See, however, it works out. Just different people have different abilities when it comes to teaching. So he says after that, miracles, then gifts of healings and helps and governments, diversities of tongues. So my whole point in dealing with verse 28 is simply to say all of these things were established in the church and they're not going anywhere. They're going to be here. They are going to be in the church until the church no longer is on planet Earth. This is how God designed his body. And when I find that people travel long distances to carry someone sick so that somebody can pray for them, I don't mock them and I don't tease them. 
I'm just grateful that there's somebody that want to take them to someone and have them pray. And I pray, pray and hope in Jesus name it'll work out for them. Think of the distances some people in Jesus day had to travel to get some sick person to where he was and then get there and find out he already left the day before. You remember the story of him sitting in that house one time and then the people, they so badly wanted Jesus to touch this individual that they climbed up on the roof and tore a hole in it. Now, you know, as well as I do, you would not be the happiest camper. if Somebody started breaking up shingles and and pieces of wood in your roof just to lower somebody down into a house in order for them to be prayed for property damage and everything else. They didn't care. They they wanted the person to be made whole. And when I when I see the the, the big meetings over overseas, you know, um, before Reinhard Bonnke passed away, sometimes a million people in one meeting and then he'll get up and preach the gospel. And and then in the middle of that, just pray a simple prayer afterwards and then watch as people start passing crutches forward and people start yelling and screaming and people getting up off of cots made whole people who were lepers cleansed manifestations of healing because the gospel was preached yeah because the gospel was was proclaimed so we we don't ever want to put god in a box and say god if you're going to move you're going to have to move in accordance with how we believe Uh, the only thing we should do is trust god Release our faith and expect a miracle. That's it. Expect a miracle. If, if we're not going to do that, what's the point of it all? See, what, there's just no sense in trying to be religious. I'm not God. You're not God. And, and uh, you know, as many conversations have I've, I've had with preachers when they say, well, what what about when you pray for people? I mean, don't you feel bad uh, about uh, folks when 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 they don't get Healed, I say, I feel about the same as when I preach the gospel to a whole lot of people that are there that are sinners. And then the sinners get up and walk out. I said, some believe, some don't. I can't do anything about that. I'm not a savior. I'm, I'm only a, a mail carrier. I just say, here's what, what the book says. And, and God has never told me to get people's eyes on me or any other preacher so that people start looking to them like they're a special God, simply because the Lord is using them to heal the sick. The body of Christ has to keep its eyes on Jesus, on Jesus. And and that's it. And if we keep our eyes on him, we won't be disappointed. If you get your eyes on a human, then you're going to be disappointed. I remember my pastor told me a story one time where he had a, it was something worse than eczema, but something broke out in his fingers and all between his fingers, the skin got real dry and parched and started splitting and he had blood and stuff that was just all over his hands. It was real sensitive to the touch. And he said he went to his dad, had his dad pray for him. And he said, still nothing. He, this was this would have been back in the 50s. He said he went to Oral Roberts and went to one of his tent meetings, had Oral Roberts lay hands on him, said nothing happened at all. 
Said he went to a William Branham meeting, went to have, have that man minister to him, said still he, he never got healed of that at all. And he said he said in talking to God one time, he said, Lord, I've gone to all these different people that manifest all these different uh, these healing gifts and stuff like that. But yet my hand is bad. And it seems to me like if I keep going in this direction, I could end up losing the use of it. What am I to do? And the Lord said, why don't you try me? See? You, you got a lot of faith to go hundreds of miles to all these different people. So he said he, he just read that Bible that, that said, believe the Lord. And he said he prayed and he asked God, Lord, touch my hand, please heal my hand. And he said within a few days, he just watched as God was just putting new skin on his hand. See, new skin, no problem at all. You get your faith in the wrong person. And, and, and you'll find that you'll be very disappointed. You keep your faith in him. You'll find that God is not the source of any of our disappointments. Amen. Praise God. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for allowing us to just briefly skim the surface of some of these things related to the work of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that, that there would be manifestations of faith in our hearts and in our lives that, that you would use us, God. And at the same time, Lord, when we minister one to the other and we pray for those that are in our families or, or for friends that may have some kind of physical problem, let your glory appear and let people be made whole. Let robust health be restored in Jesus mighty name. And everyone said, Amen, amen, amen. Praise.